The passage we've arrived at in 2 Corinthians, I want to read you what I think is a verse that we have to understand that will explain the passage we've arrived in. It's the last two verses of the book of James. James was the half-brother of Jesus. He's the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Listen to what he writes. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, that is precisely the passage that we have landed in. Now, remember we've talked about the fact that 2 Corinthians is really difficult. It's not logically sequential. There's all, it, Paul's just pouring his guts out, and in the middle of pouring his guts out, he'll once in a while chunk out an embedded truth. For example, in the passage we're in, remember a couple of weeks ago, he started talking to the Corinthians saying, man, I hope we're okay. I hope the things you and I have talked about have allowed us to maintain our fellowship. And then he immediately goes into this long dialogue about how you shouldn't marry somebody who's not a believer. Then he's come right back to that very same issue in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, literally, from 2 Corinthians... Uh, chapter 6, 11, all the way to the end of chapter 7, 16, except for that section about marrying an unbeliever. This whole thing is about what's happened between him and the church. Now, we're not going to obviously read that entire passage, but I want you to just walk with me a little bit through this. He talks about, in verse 2, make room in our hearts for us. We've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've taken advantage of no one. Then look down in verse 5. Even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. We were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God who comforts the downcast, now listen to this, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Not only by his coming, but by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. For even if I've made you grieve with my letter, I don't regret it. Though I did regret it. For I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. Now we're going to look at the next section next Sunday morning. But I want you to understand the background of what he's talking about, so that we understand a pivotal issue that we have to face as a church. Every church, particularly in this day and age. Paul goes to Corinth, starts the church. Now remember, he loves to travel, but he stays in Corinth a year and a half for two reasons. Number one, he loves these people. Number two, Corinth is not like Bryan College Station. Corinth is like New Orleans. It's just not, it's, it's extremely unholy, it's ungodly, it's pretty vile, it's immoral. And so he stays there for a year and a half because he really enjoys these people, but he wants to bring them God's truth and let them get it inside so that the culture of the city doesn't corrupt the church. When the church takes on the view of its culture, it ceases to be able to be a witness to that culture. And so he's extremely concerned. So he stays there a year and a half because they're just in a tough spot. So he loves him, he works with him, he, he, he disciples him, he brings the truth in them, and then he leaves. Now, we know from 1 Corinthians, they write him a letter after he's gone. And they said, look, here's some issues we're facing. 
And he mentions that in 1 Corinthians. He says, concerning the things you wrote. And so he addresses some of those things. But then he added a chapter. He added 1 Corinthians 5, which was a chapter about an issue that they really didn't ask him about, but he felt compelled that he had to address. Now they talked, he even says to them, you're puffed up about this when you ought to be repentant. But what had happened was somewhere there's a guy in the church. Either he's the head football coach of the Corinthian Cagers, or he's the university president, or he's the mayor or something. But this guy's a really important guy. And he's big in the church. And they're proud of the fact that he comes to their church. But he's engaged in physical intimacy with his stepmother. Paul even says, look, even the people in Corinth don't do that. You need to remove him from the church. Now, he's nervous when he sends a letter because he's nervous about two things. He wonders if they'll repent and do it. You say, well, what's the big deal? Well, here's the big deal. If you're going to stand on truth as a church, and you've got a guy taking up offering, and he's the chairman of deacons, and he's involved in all these activities, and he's doing what this guy's doing. So the kids grow up and see his activities, and they hear the preacher talk about truth. That absolutely destroys the credibility of the truth of God inside a building. Amen. So, he's worried, number one, they won't repent. The other thing he's worried about is that they will despise him if they do repent. So he's nervous. Gets into Macedonia, he's facing all sorts of issues, he says. And then all of a sudden, Titus shows up. Obviously, Titus has gone to deal with this. Titus shows back up and he says, Man, I got, I got great news. Number one, they don't hate you. They're good. You're still their guy. Number two, they've repented. Matter of fact, if you remember earlier in this letter, he's addressing them beyond the, early, the earliest part of this letter. Remember, early in the letter, they had so booted this guy, they wouldn't even let him back in. Paul says, look, go ahead and let him back in. He's repentant. He said, they have repented. They have booted this guy. And number three, they were great even with me when I came with your message. Now, I want you to understand something. We're living in a day When there are churches everywhere that are choosing community over truth. Community's great. I like people liking me. I like my wife liking me. I like my kids liking me. Those things don't happen every day, but I do like it when it happens. We all like people to like us. We like community. There's nothing wrong with community. You want to know what community is? It was saying him's game last night. I'm watching it on TV. We're all excited when they get the touchdown, then we're hurt when they don't, and then the ending comes. And we all, in mass, together, no matter what our personalities are, no matter what our political beliefs, no matter whom we voted for, we were all distressed at the end of the game because we hate to see the Aggies lose. So there's community right there. You can get community everywhere, but, but, but the church has to be a community based around truth, not just community. And we have to come to a place where if we have to choose between delivering truth and having community, we choose the delivery of truth. That's what he says. 
He says, I'm worried I'm going to lose community with you, and I understand that, but I'm telling you, when it comes to the choice of delivering truth, I will deliver truth, even if it means you may despise me, even if it means you don't yield to the truth that I deliver to you. I am still responsible for delivering that truth. That's his heartbeat, and it is the number, maybe the top five needs that the church is facing in the next five to ten years. There's a church in Austin. Uh, pastor's wife is a renowned women's ministry person. Renowned. They pastor a church in Austin. I understand the Austin culture is different than there. I'm not being funny. There's a distinction between those two cultures. But they have both come out and said that you can have a holy same-sex marriage. Now, because the community is more valuable than the truth. Paul's position is, no, no, no. The delivery of truth, even if painful, even if costly, even if rejected, is more important than community. Now, let's lay a couple things out here. Number one, We're going to deliver truth. It's got to be Bible truth, not Baptist truth. We showed a few weeks ago whether or not we can dance, right? Lester Binbank showed us, no, we shouldn't be dancing. <laughs> now, Lester said he's going to get me back for that, but I, I don't care. It was worth the moment. That's Baptist truth. There is nothing in the Bible about dancing. Nothing. The only thing in the Bible about dancing is David danced before the Lord. Wife got mad at him and never had a kid. Not a good birth control issue, but that's what happened. So dancing isn't in the Word of God, so we don't beat each other. Make sure it's God's truth. Paul struggled with it. He's in this room one day, comes in. Peter has been eating with a Gentile. He's been having lunch with her, having Kentucky Fried Camel, whatever they had back then. We actually saw a sign that said that, KFC, Kentucky Fried Camel. But they're, uh, they're eating that. They're having a great time. And Peter looks up. He's sitting with the Gentiles. He's a Jew. And all of a sudden, these Jews enter the room. And Peter jumps up, walks over, and goes, how'd they get in here? Paul is in the room. And in Galatians 2, it's, uh, he says, literally in the Greek, I withstood Peter to the face. I got in his face in front of everybody in that room and said, you are wrong. How dare you denigrate the Gentiles as a Jew? Everybody has a shot in Jesus Christ. Now that was a proper delivery of God's truth. It was clear, it was right, and the delivery timing was there. Peter had done that in front of everybody, so Paul corrects him in front of everybody. Now, Paul blew it, though. He and Barnabas and John Mark take the first missionary journey. John Mark gets about halfway done. Paul's pretty tough to deal with, so he quits. Well, they meet for the second missionary journey. They're heading off, and Barnabas is there with John Mark, his cousin. And Paul says, what is he doing here? He said, well, he's going with us. He's repentant. He's sorry. He's grieved. Realizes he shouldn't have quit. He doesn't want to be a quitter. He's going with us. He's going to hang with us. Paul said, no, he's not. He's not going, and they have this massive, literally, the Bible says, a massive fight. They split. They break fellowship. Barnabas and John Mark go off to Cyprus. Paul continues the missionary journeys, but he was wrong. 
You say, well, how do you know that? Because at the end of his life, he writes from a Roman jail cell to Timothy, and he says, bring John Mark. He is profitable to me in the ministry. You don't deliver truth that is your truth or your heart or your passion. You deliver truth that is in this book. Now, I hear this all the time. Well, preacher, the Bible's open to hundreds of interpretations. Let me just clear that up, okay? The Greek word is no. <laughs> now, there are some issues in the Bible that are open to interpretation. I have no problem with that. I personally, for example, believe the church is raptured before the last seven years. That may or may not be true. That's my interpretation of the Bible. I get that. I get the fact there's an interpretation of Calvinism versus free will. I get that. But let me tell you something. I've been reading this a long time. And I'm just going to tell you this is my percentage point. And I'm, I'm, I'm low-balling it. 85% of this book is crystal clear. When the Bible says you do not lie with a man as you do with a woman, is that hard to interpret? That's real clear. When Jesus said people are mean to you, you forgive them and you love them, you pray for them and you bless them. Is that hard to understand? That's real clear. When the Bible says pray without ceasing, what does that mean? Uh, pray. Uh, don't stop. Is that hard to understand? Is it hard to understand that I don't give money to honor me, I give money to honor Christ? Is it hard to understand that I don't live for my happiness, I live for His glory? Is it hard to understand that when God looked at Jesus, when he came out of the water and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, that my goal is not to please myself, my goal is to please my God? Yes, See, I don't think there's really much in here that's hard to understand. I think the things we have to have to live are really easy to understand. And so we deliver that truth to each other and to our society. Not our truth, but that truth. And let me say one other thing here, okay? If God's Holy Spirit directs your life a certain way, don't impose that direction on anybody else unless it's also in the Word of God. For example, I'm just the messenger. If you have kids, uh, everybody's got a kid here who's got them in one of three places. You got them in a public school because you believe that's where God wants your child. Some of you have your kid in a private school because you believe that's where God wants your child. Some of you have your kids homeschooling because that's what you believe about a child. Some people have a combo where they're in these schools where they meet a couple days a week and then they're at home a couple days a week. Everybody's got a different thing with your kid. I've read this thing, Genesis and Revelation, and it doesn't say anywhere where you put your kid in school. Don't tell me if my kid's in public school that that's wrong and I've made a mistake, don't take what isn't in here and impose it on anybody else, even though the Holy Spirit may have imposed it on you. You allow God's Spirit to impose on other people what He needs to impose on them. Their kid may need to be here. Your kid may need to be here. Depending on what they've gotten from you as far as capability and culpability of temptation. You 
only give to other people what is in this book, black and white. Nothing else. Number two. <laughs> if you enjoy delivering truth when you know it might break fellowship, don't deliver it. He hates the thought that he's going to hurt them. That's what he says. Even if I made you grieve with my letter, I don't regret it, though I did regret it. I see that letter grieve you only for a while. If you enjoy, and I'm telling you, I've run into some people that love to be the Holy Spirit in everybody else's life. I've looked at some people and said, look, I could be wrong. I don't think you're the third person of the Trinity. you're going to deliver truth and you know it will sting and you know it will hurt and you know it will break fellowship and it may hurt community if that doesn't bother you then don't deliver it let somebody else bring the truth if you enjoy busting people's hearts you have no right delivering God's truth that's number two now so we make sure it's God's truth we make sure we don't enjoy it. And we make sure if we got to choose between community and truth, we choose truth. You say, well, come on, preacher. Why is it that big a deal? Shouldn't we all love each other, get along? Why should, why should truth really be that big a deal? Remember what he taught us. We know that if the tent that is your earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. And then he says later on in the same chapter, listen to this. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Why is truth so important? Because truth creates two things. It changes your destiny. Community never changes your destiny. You can sit in this building for 70 years. You can be here every Sunday morning. You can be here every Sunday night. You can have a perfect attendance lapel. You can be nice. You can give your money. You can go to Sunday school. You can never be mad at anybody, but that is not going to alter your destiny. Community doesn't change anything. But when the Holy Spirit comes to me and he says, Chris, you're bad, but Jesus wasn't. And he can set you free if you put your faith in what I'm telling you. When I put my faith in the truth the Holy Spirit gives me, my destiny is changed. It's not changed because I'm the pastor of this church. It was changed because I met Jesus out of the truth of the Holy Spirit of God. So, number one, truth is more important than community because truth changes our destiny and truth is the basis of our ministry to the world. 
we're going to step into this culture. And we've talked about this. <laughs> the millennials are not coming to church unless we compel them to. Unless we become God's ambassadors and we step out there and we give them, listen, we give them the truth about Jesus Christ. And when they come to this church, they see the authenticity of that truth. One of the things the millennials are looking for is authenticity. If we're not authentic and we don't really live out what we believe, if we live out a goof of Baptist insanity, then we're not authentic. If we ignore the black and white truth of God, we're not authentic. If I impose on you what the Holy Spirit imposes on me, that's not in there, I'm not authentic. But if we take that book and we live it out correctly, and we're ambassadors for Jesus Christ, and we bring the truth, and our community in this room isn't based on whether or not we're Aggies, it's based on whether or not we know Jesus. If the community is based on that truth, we become authentic to the people around us. And that is pivotal. Let me remind you of a couple of weeks ago when we were, one of the things we do when we go to Israel, we go to the Valley of Elah. Valley of Elah is where David killed Goliath. If you remember the story, it's got five rocks. So I had all 30 of us gather five rocks out of the stream bed and bring them home. I have them in my man cave now, all five rocks sitting on my credenza. Because they remind me of these truths. Psalm 2, he's sovereign. 2 Peter 1, that book is supernatural. This is God's word to us through men. It is supernatural in your life. Number three, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. The blood of Jesus Christ washes away your sins, and it is still effective. That blood is a great trade. I give God my sin. He gives me his holiness. How can you beat that? And you don't have to do anything. You just trust what the Holy Spirit says, and that trade-off is legit. Before Matthew 16, the church is undefeatable. They can't kill us. They can't really hurt us. You say, well, what if they, what if they torture us? Persecution deepens our faith. What if they take away our tax status and our money? Paul said, I've learned to be content in all circumstances. Well, what if they kill us? We go home early. In Matthew 24, Luke 21, and all of the book of Revelation. He's on the way back. So we're going to base this community in here around those truths. I love being an Aggie. I have now seasoned basketball tickets. I wear an Aggie shirt and go to the game. I will root against Alabama in Aggie basketball. You know, it's sad. That's the part of the sermon you applaud. You know what I mean? <laughs> Not in football, but in every other sport. <laughs> do you know what? I do love A&M. But that's not the community that changes lives. It's the people who have believed the truth the Holy Spirit gave them about the blood of Jesus Christ. 
And because of that, they're forgiven, and the Holy Spirit's coming to indwell them. And when we bring that truth to a lost world and in here, and we live it out authentically, we'll be a community. No matter what our personalities are, no matter what football team we vote for, no matter how we dress, no matter what we think, no matter whom we voted for, we were your community unified around the cross and the truth of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we have truth that we can literally hang our lives around. And Father, I pray for us at this church that we will build truth not around Baptist belief, but around your word. And that, Father, we will love each other, we will impart truth to each other, but never with joy, but always with a tough heart. Thank you for the singular truth about your son on the cross. In Jesus Christ's name. With your heads bowed, eyes closed. Staff and I are here at the front. If you've never met Jesus, and you realize today that's true, and the Holy Spirit's spoken to you, we will share with you how to find Christ. If God's calling you to be a part of this fellowship as He speaks to your heart this morning, you come.